Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. You don't want a repeat performance of that one time we recorded. One fucking time, you never <laughs> let it go. One time. One time. It's actually true, though, in all fairness to us. It was only one time of all the episodes we recorded. Or didn't record. What a pretty big fuck up, if you ask me. Yeah. Well, I hit record this time, okay, which means well, everyone's listening to this already. Uh, quick two notes. A, for everyone listening to the podcast, we dressed the part for this episode. I'm pretty positive, but we were, did a really good job at dressing like it's 1990s attire here. Yeah, you can't see, but I'm wearing unlaced combat boots. <laughs> Also, I did something different for tonight. I think people, uh, uh, and you would be proud of me. I did my research, but I worked my way back. So I figured one of the best things to do, because we're going to do Pearl Jam, is like to talk about Pearl Jam's actually positive contributions to music. And the best contribution I think that anyone could give Pearl Jam, and this is a big one, mind you, is, uh, is, this, is this riff right here. Can you take me higher? You think that Pearl Jam's responsible for that? To a place. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's, it's probably the greatest contribution of the band, in my opinion. The best thing that Pearl Jam ever did was pave the way for Creed. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we don't even, maybe we shouldn't do an episode on Pearl Jam. We should just acknowledge that thanks to Pearl Jam, Creed exists and the world is a better place. Is that what you want to do since you lost your notes for this episode? I didn't lose them. <laughs> I still have them, most of them. Mark Stahl gave his homework. Well, just to undo all that goodwill you've generated for Pearl Jam so far in this episode, John Mayer says Yellow Leadbetter is the song that made him want to pick up a guitar. So I think we can all agree, fuck Pearl Jam. <laughs> so Pearl Jam gives us Creed, which is great, but also... Yeah, not worth on it. On the flip side, gives us John Mayer, which obviously negates anything good. Pearl Jam also made Neil Young very uncool in the 90s, which is a pretty serious offense. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I feel if you listen to Pearl Jam, then you also have to listen to Dave Matthews Band and vice versa. These things beget one another, right? Yeah, but you know, Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam fans, in my opinion, are the people that will say that they love Pearl Jam and Pearl Jam can do no wrong type thing, but will not acknowledge all of the other things, other aspects that are come with Pearl Jam, like Creed. They'll say Creed sucks. Yeah. All the while, they listen to Pearl Jam, which is crazy, and then so on and so forth. All the other beautiful things that Pearl Jam has given us, like Dave Matthews Band or so many other mid to late 90s rock bands. There are some specific verbal tics Dave Matthews uses that he had to have gotten from Eddie Vedder, those the hiccup things that he does where he goes like real high sometimes. I don't know where. Who, who do you think ripped off? Uh, you think Eddie ripped off James Hetfield or did Hetfield rip off Eddie what? Vedder? 
the yeah, 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 yeah. You don't know this, but I'm also going to, I also have the theory that I was going to make in this episode that Pearl Jam is a failed hair metal band. So it would make a lot of sense <laughs> if this guy was just listening to a ton of Metallica and this is the band he ended this is, up in. This is where it ended up. But seriously, what is the difference between the song Daughter and every Hootie and the Blowfish song? I don't know. There's no Nothing. difference that I hear. Also, Pearl Jam is a jam band. I mean, their name is Pearl Jam. That's about cum, pretty obviously. Yeah. But also, jam is right there. And Pearl Jam uses weirder time signatures than half the bands we've covered who commonly get called prog. So I think it's pretty fair to call them a jam band. They are definitely a jam band. A, they don't play the same set list every night. That's a very jam band thing. That's a dead giveaway to a jam band. Yeah. If you go see Fish... <laughs> Five nights a week, you get five different sets because Fish doesn't play the same set every night. Pearl Jam is notorious for doing the same thing, hence why they sell bootlegs or sold bootlegs, that they never play the same set every night because they are just jamming. It is in their name. It is in undeniable. I don't know if he still does this, but I know there was a period in which Eddie Vedder was bringing a bottle of wine on stage with him. That is some Chris Robinson of the Black Crows barefoot on a rug on stage bullshit jam band mm -hmm. stuff if I've ever heard. I'm almost positive that when he did his solo stuff, like when they came when he came here, he almost positive he did that. At least that's what I heard. I don't know if he did or not. But let's 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 see here. Uh, the band is originally called. Oh, so, so I don't know. Did you look up the, the the band name thing? The stories of the band name? No, I don't need to read well, that much there was, bullshit. Well, there was a the original story was something about the psychedelic jam that his grandmother made, or so I don't know. It was mm -hmm. a goofy story, which is what you would come up with if you named your band Come and right. didn't want to admit that in an interview. Exactly. Yeah. Here's the thing: is years later <laughs> he gets asked about it, and he's like, "No, that's bullshit. I made it up." Yeah. So the band's original name is Mookie Blaylock, whose number is 10. Mm -hmm. Pearl Jam's first album is 10 after Mookie Blaylock. I think Eddie just liked to, you know, probably beat his meat to basketball. I think he was so horny for basketball that he was like, we're going to name our band Pearl Jam because, you know, Mookie Blaylock and, and at basketball makes me come. I'm not a doctor, but that sounds like such a solid diagnosis to I'm me. Just saying, I, I'm not. I, I should probably be a psychiatrist. That is. I'm going to psychoanalyze his brain. What you just proposed is less outrageous than the mental illnesses in half of this band's songs. <laughs> so, so the first album, the first album should be. We should have had a psychiatrist on with us to break down the the insanity that is the first album of Pearl Jam. I mean, right out of the gate. The album is called 10, but it has 11 songs on it. So counting isn't their strong suit. That's infuriating. Yeah. That's <laughs> how hard would it have been to just cut off another one of the songs? Yeah, especially when we're talking about a band who famously refused to release one of their most popular songs as a single and just let it get all the radio play anyways. That's what I'm saying. Release. 
could actually be just a B-side, like Yellow Leadbetter was a B-side. Yeah. Their actual most popular song ever is Yellow Leadbetter, and they cut that from the first album. So yeah, cut one of these songs, 10 songs. And then it would at least make sense. Uh, I just realized I forgot to make an outline for this episode, so I guess Better, we're just yeah. going to go for it. I guess I've never tried to listen to this whole album before because I did not know the first track is just a Peter Gabriel song that turns into the worst attempt at hair metal I've ever heard of my life and when you think about how many people call this their favorite album and then just picture every time they press play on their favorite album this is the first thing that they hear every time they listen to their favorite album it's yeah. hilarious this album is not an album that's actually good that you want to listen to on purpose it's just nostalgia in an in a record you're young and dumb and you thought this was so deep and weird and different. And so it was so good to you at the time because you were a depressed little teenager with no life crying in your bedroom every night. You should go back and listen to it now as an adult and realize that they're terrible and it's terrible and you should delete it from your playlist. Also, assuming that your hearing is a little bit more discerning than it was at the time. If you go back and listen to a bunch of other bands that were called grunge around this time and then listen to Pearl Jam's music, just disconnect it from all the visual and everything else you know about the band, sonic elements to sonic elements, this band never made grunge music, right? Yeah, that's something that people argue about. It's not. Like the, people do label it grunge, but is it grunge? I don't think it is because I think it's... I mean, Kurt Cobain agrees with me, for one. I don't know if he ever used the word grunge, but he had a lot of things to say about early Pearl Jam while Kurt Cobain was still alive to hear it. I would say Kurt was not a fan. He did not like this band, yeah. and one of the reasons why was all the fucking guitar solos, which guitar solos in and of themselves do not exclude you from being grunge or else Soundgarden wouldn't qualify. But I never heard Kurt Cobain say anything bad about Soundgarden's guitar solos because that's not the only thing that's not the only problem here it's what those solos are like mm. I think even Mike McCready has called some of his most well-known guitar parts just a bad imitation of Stevie Ray Vaughan yeah and he would know he's the one who plays them every night and it's what they sound like to me too I remember watching this like interview with him in a guitar thing and it was almost like he had this weird shame when he would play the guitar parts. It was like if you actually looked at his face when he was saying it <laughs> or playing it, he was just kind of like, oh, man, this is a this is a cool one, right? Whoa, whoa. But you could see like the shame in his eyes. Like he was like, I don't really want to own the fact that I wrote this. Yeah, I want to know if he kept taking guitar lessons. Pearl Jam all the way through and through is proof that you can be mediocre oh, yeah. and be huge. You can be a mediocre guitar player. You can be a mediocre singer. I mean, one of the greatest contributions or the worst contributions that Eddie Vedder gave to music as a whole is he normalized being a shitty singer. You could be a bad singer and be absolutely massive. You could be a shitty, boring guitar player and your band could be huge. You didn't have to be best. You didn't have to be better. You didn't have to practice. You didn't have to get better at singing. You could just be Pearl Jam. The effects of just him as a vocalist are so far reaching yeah and when you get into their actual music it, this is not a great legacy to have in my opinion you cannot say with a straight face that eddie vetter's a great singer and not in the same breath say scott stapp True. was a better singer True. because he built on what eddie did 
He made it better. He had a wider range. Mark Tremonti Mark is Tremonti's a better guitar, much player. better guitar player. Way yeah. better. Like infinitely better. Like you cannot say that you think Pearl Jam is just this infinitely great band and not think that Creed was a better version of Pearl Jam. They are literally a better version. It is such a catch-22 for Pearl Jam fans. You got to think because that's exactly right. What you're saying is exactly right. But a majority of Pearl Jam fans are way too cool. They would never in a million years, A, admit that they ever liked Creed. And certainly right now, be like, no, no, Creed's, Creed is lame. Creed is so dumb. This is the kind of band that you learn how to play an instrument to mm -hmm. because their parts are so within the grasp of beginners on any instrument. If you want to learn how to play guitar and you like Pearl Jam, this is a very easy entry level to playing an instrument. You can play these drum parts. Like if you already play an instrument and you're looking to branch out and learn a different one too, I mean, yeah. Dude, you literally learn a couple really simple little chord progressions and then you just go, so she said, hey, have I got a little, I mean, anyone can do that. You don't, I'm a shitty singer, but I can sing that shit all day. You nailed that any better <laughs> impersonation, my friend. As far as I can tell, the most important thing Stone Gosser does in this band is have that name on his birth certificate. A pretty sweet name. I've never noticed anything this guy has done in a song, but that name does sound like a character from a spy novel, right? Yeah. Or like a superhero. If Clark Kent, Clark Kent's alter ego to like if Gooseman was a superhero. Yeah. Gee, Stone Gossard, Gooseman was just here. You always <laughs> seem to miss him. It's a pretty sick name. So we have new t-shirts, but I just realized, can we say how... How specifically can we describe the designs of our new shirts? Uh, we have shirts that roundaboutly might kind of make you think of a certain 90s runs rock band uh, and or another famous rock band from the across the pond. It rhymes with the bowling bones. <laughs> the bowling bones. Yeah. Shmervana. <laughs> Shmervana. Come on down to yfbspod.com. Merch store. Buy a t-shirt. Buy a flag. Buy a pin. Buy a sticker. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. I don't know who names their kid Stone. Strong move. But it is pretty cool. I mean, it's right under Beowulf on the list. <laughs> That's pretty know? sick. Although, are you setting him up for failure? Because obviously everyone's going to call him Stoner. If you don't see a picture of this guy and his application comes in, the name is the first thing you're going to read. Yeah. That's probably how they got signed. Seriously, some dude at the record label probably assumed that Stone Gossard was the front man of this band and signed Pearl Jam that second yeah i don't even have to change this asshole's name <laughs> like oh this eddie isn't eddie's the singer no 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 no. that's not what we signed up for <laughs> stone stone is the singer stone but the poor guy probably how many times is he how many times in that guy's life has he heard stone is stoned oh i mean i bet you he's not really stoked about it that's what makes you a badass deserving of the name is having to survive childhood with a name like that. True. Not and easy for any small child to do. And then converting that shitty childhood into Pearl Jam songs. You become, <laughs> you become worthy of the name because of the abuse inflicted upon you because of it. True. True. 
like Beowulf would suck in second grade. <laughs> but, be rough. Real talk when we named our kids, these are like the things that I went <laughs> through in my head of like, what would their nicknames be? What are <laughs> like I was really thorough and Stone wasn't in the top 100 names. It is weird how this band never really made grunge music, but it's almost like they overcompensated for not actually making grunge music by leaning as far as they could into the most extreme versions of quote unquote grunge ideals. Mm-hmm. Whenever you see a Mr. Show skit or a Ben Stiller show skit or an SNL skit from this time period making fun of a grunge band, if there's like a fake grunge band in it and it's obviously that all this stuff is supposed to be funny that this stereotypically grunge band does, they are, without exception, making fun of Pearl Jam specifically every single time. Go back and watch every one of them. Yes. If you see someone with long hair, flannel t-shirt flannel, on. Flannel tied around your waist. Tied around your waist. Unlaced, com- unlaced boots. Yes. 100% of the time you're going, oh, Pearl Jam or oh, Eddie Vedder. 100% of the time. They are absolutely the, uh, what is the term? I can't think, whatever. They're like, they're the, the poster child yes, of poster grunge. Child. Right. Quite literally, the yes. poster child of the Seattle sound, I guess, would probably be the more accurate way to say it. Although, everyone does say grunge about this band. Sure. Yeah. If grunge is a fashion, Pearl Jam is grunge. If you're talking about a musical sound, Pearl Jam is not, not. grunge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you were to say... Well, I mean, who would be, who do you think actually would be maybe Alice in Chains? Alice in Chains is Alice definitely Chains a, a is grunge. The, yes, Alice in Chains and Soundgarden are, in my opinion, the twin pillars of actual grunge music. Regardless of whether you like listening to either of those bands, those are the main two. Right. As far as the sound of it goes. And it also branches out into bands like Tad or Melvin's and... Sure. Sure. Very early Nirvana. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Pearl Jam is like a joke about all that shit. Mm-hmm. That Temple of the Dog song, Hunger Strike, mm-hmm. Eddie Vedder can infect anything with how much of a joke Pearl Jam is. That song is a great example. That song sounds like a joke I would have come up with for this episode if it didn't already exist. Like mm-hmm. in this segment of this episode, I would have said some shit like, yeah, it's too bad that uh, Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder never recorded a song about coming to terms with being rich rock stars. We could hear them try to out-nonsense each other. <laughs> What's weird is that Temple of the Dog was before Pearl Jam. Yes. That song came out before Pearl Jam even put out yeah. 10. Yeah, and no one gave a shit when they released that song. It was no. only after Nirvana blew up that any of this stuff even yeah. came on your radar. Yeah. 99.9% yeah, yeah, yeah. of the people listening to this. Yeah, but you know, it's so weird. You listen to Cornell's singing and then Eddie Vedder singing, and the fact that nobody immediately was just like, yo, this dude's got to go. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Like, how do you listen to Chris Cornell sing and then Eddie Vedder sing go, wow, what a great matchup. You immediately go, who is this clown and why is he on the album? Like, get this dude out of here. The official story is Chris Cornell is there and they're recording or practicing, rehearsing Hunger Strike. And it's like the first time that Cornell has played it with the band and he's trying to do both vocal parts because that's the way that he's written it. Okay. And he just doesn't physically have the breath to do it. Mm. And Eddie Vedder is there in the rehearsal space waiting for a Mookie Blaylock 
rehearsal session. And I think he said that he was putting duct tape on a bongo or some shit like that. I don't know. And he noticed as a singer, he looked over and noticed what Chris Cornell was trying to do and did not have the breath to be able to do, like could not physically sure, that. sing both of right. these lines. Sure. So Eddie walks up to a microphone and just starts doing the second part that he can hear Chris trying to do. And like, that's the first time this guy's voice got put on record is because of that situation. Mm. One guy literally didn't have enough breath. Yeah, they couldn't just comp it together like they he would doesn't, now. He doesn't have a little sampler where he can right. record his voice twice. This is way before Reggie Watts. You know, Chris Cornell was not hip to sampling right. live. Sure. And Eddie Vedder gets a part. I, it's so just... I, how do you, if you're not the engineer or everyone in the room, Eddie goes in the vocal booth to record his part or whatever, and everyone's just like nodding their head like, yeah, 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 cool, cool. And then as soon as Eddie leaves- like You know the, we can multi-track <laughs> this. Surely, as soon as he leaves the room, they all look at each other like, oh, no, 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 yeah, no. Don't get, you do it. Yo, this, get this shit out of here right now. This dude, this dude's got to go. He's like, I don't know. That was really nice. That thing <laughs> you did for me. I'm going hungry. <laughs> uh, okay. Great, Eddie. Thanks for your contribution. Can you imagine being a parent during the grunge era and watching your kids decide to go outside dressed like this? No. Just, like, <laughs> one, of my biggest, <laughs> one of my biggest fears as a parent. Like, what's going to be popular when my kids are teenagers and what am I going to have to witness them doing? Yeah, just walking out of the house, you're like, what the fuck like did torn, I do? torn up jeans. Where did I go wrong? Like, honey, come here. Your teachers know everything's okay at home, right? Honey, it's 95 degrees out. Why are you wearing a flannel? <laughs> or why is it wrapped around your waist? Put it on. You're freezing. Put your shirt on. Why do you have it wrapped around your waist? You're wearing a jacket and you have a shirt tied around your waist. Like, what the fuck is, is wrong? Today, y'all's field trip to <laughs> the swimming park? Or? This doesn't even make sense. Yeah. 90s grunge fashion. <laughs> I gotta look the part, mom. I gotta look the part. And I would, I mean, I don't really know, not in my, not in my time, but I guess, I mean, I'm sure a lot of kids grew their hair out because oh, they wanted yeah. to have long hair. We're talking 12 year old shopping at the army surplus store. Yes. True, 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 true. Growing their hair out, wearing those ridiculous hats that some of them wore. And then you had to learn how to like fake shell shock and rock back and forth while your hair hung down in your yeah, face. What a terrible time. Terrible time in music history. <laughs> It's, and fashion. It's so embarrassing. I mean, liking bad music when you're young, it, that's one thing. Sure. But all other eras and most other genres of music, the music wasn't just the most embarrassing parts about the hormones flooding your system when you're a teenager. A lot of other genres are just about being horny. And that's yeah. great. That's the one thing that you don't have to be ashamed about, provided you acted like a civilized human Dude. being when you were going through puberty, is being horny all the time. Yeah. But being sad all the time is the shitty part that no one wants Yo, to think about. At least, at least if Vanilla Ice was your favorite band back then, it yes. made sense. Because you were going to like... Try to do some dance, dance moves, fuck. right? Dance moves so you could get laid. Pearl Jam was just like you, you're definitely not hooking up with anybody to Pearl Jam. You know what I mean? Like, is that really a thing? Do people like no. listen to Pearl Jam and go, "Man, I gotta go make out with somebody"? Like, it's the exact opposite of what happens. Literally, the exact opposite. I'm gonna listen to Pearl Jam, sit in my room, and just feel how depressed I am. I think Pearl Jam was way ahead of the curve on that whole faking a self-diagnosed mental illness online for attention thing. They paved, uh, they paved the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you could say that just based on the way they were dressed, honestly, but they clearly intentionally decided to become the favorite band of depressed teenagers, mm -hmm. which is funny because, again, that means Pearl Jam thought 
grunge was this. They looked at Nirvana and recorded the song alive mm -hmm. because that's what they thought was going on. So, don't you say Have I got a little story for you? There's Eddie Vedder's gimmick of hanging on things and like climbing really tall scaffolding or hanging on to a lighting truss and it being lifted up into the air to a fatally high altitude. Oh, yeah, really? Real talk? That shit's not funny. No. Do you have any like, idea like, the kind of trouble shit. other people would be oh. in if that asshole died doing that? Not only that, but like falling from that height and having people catch you can really hurt people oh, very, yeah. very badly. Falling 30 feet or 20, even 10 feet, just 10 feet to, into people's arms could easily really, really hurt people. Chris from Nirvana catching his bass with his face on the awards yeah, show. Man. It's that, but an Eddie Vedder. Yeah. It's, it's much heavier than a bass guitar. We're talking like seriously fucking up anyone he lands on, probably hurting himself very badly, if not killing himself, and getting a ton of people in very serious trouble, like maybe prison time trouble. This is something we don't talk a lot about in this show, uh, is I worked in the music business for 20 years. Uh, I have so many stories of band guys jumping off the stage, a regular stage, not going up to the, the balcony of the Ryman and fucking jumping off. I'm talking literally the stage into the crowd and hurting people badly. Like with their guitars, with their heads. I had to pay a girl's hospital visit one time because a fucking ska band decided it would be funny to jump off the stage with his fucking clarinet or whatever they play and like busted her face. It, I was like, it was the singer of the band. Uh, and I was like, dude, what are you doing? It cost me money because he wanted to jump off the stage and be fucking cool. Like, yo, you're not Eddie Vedder, A. And B, it sucks when Eddie Vedder does it. It does suck. I, I know for a fact you can find interviews where Dave Grohl talks about how terrified he was every time Eddie did this. I would, I would be shocked if at some point they didn't pay someone's hospital bill. What does it feel like when Kurt Cobain singles your band out and calls you a sellout? That's what I want to know. <laughs> it's got to be, be pretty painful of all people, Kurt Cobain telling someone else they sold out. Just a personally addressed, fuck you. Yeah. From the, the Jesus of grunge, basically. Like the guy who kids would have died for. It, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things. Sorry. Sorry. It's one of those things that I really wish that Kurt was still around. Because I would, if nothing else, would love, love to have seen a, uh, a grudge. <laughs> a grunge match. A grunge match? A grunge match between Kurt and... Uh, Oh. And Eddie at some point. Although our luck, what really would have happened is eventually they both, one of them would have run out of money at some point and they would have started another super group. You know what I mean? That's what would have happened. I don't know. Well, maybe because Pearl Jam did. So here's the thing about Pearl Jam. They are without a doubt the most commercially successful of the Seattle bands from this period. However, none of these bands would have hit the map like they did if it wasn't for Nirvana and Nevermind. Sure. 10 wasn't doing shit until Nevermind blew up. 
Then had already been released, like way before Nevermind came out, and it didn't do anything. Nevermind blew up, and it's the same thing that happened with that Hunger Strike song and the band Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. Bad Motorfinger came out on the same day as Nevermind, but it was Soundgarden's third album because nobody was giving a shit about this until Nevermind went number one four months after being released. It was yeah. only after that 10 finally hit the top 10 on the charts because Nirvana blew up and DJs started reaching for whatever else they had in the studio from yeah. Seattle. I was going to say, Nirvana was so huge. It was like a gravitational force for everything else. You know what I mean? So yes. this band is so massive. All everyone is doing is going, what else even remotely? And they've already got this so sitting nice. right there that they haven't yes. been playing because no one's been requesting. Oh, it. we have this album that we haven't touched for a fucking year. Let's play that. That that sounds good. These are verifiable facts we are stating. These are not opinions. This is fucking documented history. Pearl Jam's first single was Alive. It came out in July of 1991, and it peaked on the charts in February of 1992. Okay, And that's because Nevermind had already started selling over a quarter of a million copies a week. A week? A week. Huge. Jesus, that's so huge. And as we said in the Nirvana episode, they were basically just the Seattle band that broke through first. If it wasn't them, it probably would have been Alice in Chains or Soundgarden. One of those three bands would have set the stage for the most radio-friendly of the Seattle bands, Pearl Jam. Yeah. That's the thing about Pearl Jam, too, versus Nirvana or any of those other bands. They could be, they put out songs that could be played on, like, top 40 radio. That's why we say they're not a grunge, they did not make grunge music. They made stadium-ready arena rock ballads. I mean, it was literally played on top 40 radio. These guys are the journey of Seattle. It's true. That's an insult to Journey, though, because Journey was a much better band than Pearl Jam. Yeah. Not even close. I'm convinced that people who are fans of Pearl Jam are just people who want to be a fan of something where there's this much stuff to sure. obsess over. Like they sure. have, there's so many albums. It's the same reason people get into the Grateful Dead. There's just so much content there. Mm-hmm. And this theory should resonate to everyone coming out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like how, how many days did you spend wishing that your favorite TV show had like 10 more seasons to it. Unless your favorite TV show is a show that you like for these very same reasons, which is that there's so much content to obsess over Doctor Who, where this is a thing that you probably like just because of how much there is of it. Sure. There's so much content. Those are just the albums. And then going back to what you said earlier about how this band doesn't use the same set list every night and that's how you know they're a jam band. Another way you know they're a jam band and the most corporate version of a jam band is the official bootleg series. I already knew what you were going to say. Don't even leave it to the fans to just... So Grateful Dead says, we don't care if y'all record record our shows, go for it. And then they just let it happen. That's a free economy happening in their fan base. Pearl Jam's like... We're going to sell you all that shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing that's fucked up. Yeah. They actually sold the bootlegs. They found a way to make money on something that no other band. Dude, so to go back to the band that you referenced earlier, the reason why Dave Matthews got so huge in the beginning, the band took off, was they encouraged their fans yes. to record it and then give it to other people. But the thing is, is they didn't make money off it. They just said, yeah, you should record this and give it to people. Pearl Jam said, yeah, we're going to record this and then sell it to you. It's so great, man. It's such a a great move from a band who, before this, managed to position themselves as being 
so anti capitalist exploitation, et cetera. Yes. They're, they're, they're very open war with Ticketmaster for being an exploitive, uh, uh, greedy business, which is a little weird when you think of the fact that Pearl Jam mirrored so many of these businesses in their content. Like, let's think of, they were, the, the Pearl Jam was putting out albums at a time when people bought records, boatloads of records. They sold millions of copies of their albums. Yeah, you can, you can mark those like things up. <laughs> right, it wasn't like it is now where you have to tour to make money and you have to do all these other creative ways to make money. They were touring, making money. They were selling merch and making money. They were selling albums. They had so many revenue streams. But then at the same time... They invented a new one. Yes, at the same time, you know, putting themselves on a cross and being like, Ticketmaster is so evil because they charge fees. No, I'm not defending Ticketmaster. Fuck Ticketmaster. But uh, I, I do think it is a little weird that they would take this hard line, you know, this is exploitive stance all the while record their own shows and then sell it back to the people that already bought tickets to the show. You, you bought a ticket to the show and then you got to buy the recording of the show. It goes further than that. I have a story that I don't think I've told on this podcast before, but I should while we're talking about these Pearl Jam bootlegs. I was, I think this was in Wisconsin or Minnesota, somewhere very Northern because this is the first time I saw the Northern Lights. Just some roadhouse bar in the middle of fucking nowhere. And this was after a show. So we were out at the bar and we told the person who drove us to the bar that they could take off because there were some other people who'd been at the show who came up to us in the bar and like offered to give us a ride back to the hotel later. Mm-hmm. Someone was like, because if you hang out here, the Northern Lights are probably going to happen. So we went out back at this place and saw the Northern Lights and it was great. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen them. No, I haven't. Very cool. It was like this weird form of magnetism. It looks like a wave of light going across the sky and something about it just makes you want to like walk in that direction. It's really witchcraft vibey where it's just like, what's telling us to walk in that direction? You can just see how people would just pick up and start walking before electricity or whatever. Anyways, go inside and this dude who is offered to give us a ride back to the hotel does. And when we all pile in his car, he's like, there's a CD book, man. You can uh, pick whatever you want to to listen to. And I'm like, cool. Start flipping through the CD book. And it is entirely and only full of these Pearl Jam bootlegs. I remember the CDs were yellow, Mm -hmm. all yellow CDs. I'm just like, so I can like choose between Pearl Jam and Pearl Jam, basically. (laughs) And then for the rest of this ride, I just had to listen to this guy talk about how awesome of a band Pearl Jam was and like no offense to that guy i appreciate the ride back to the hotel i wasn't a dick about it at the time yeah but and i'm honestly not even being a dick about it now other than to say people didn't only buy the bootlegs of the shows that they attended the whole whole thing collect them yeah so you're talking about a band finding a way to shop their product which is touring an album Mm -hmm. shop their product around the country and then get paid as if they had made a new album every time they play a concert yeah like that is exponential money making and exploitation like i don't mean exploitation in a sense of people exploiting other people i mean exploiting in the marketing term like that is exploiting a product to a degree that no other band does. Right, right. It is a little weird 
to shit on Ticketmaster for adding. And this was, at the time, I don't think the fees were really that crazy compared to now. I think the fees were maybe like five or 10 bucks. And now those fees would be like 30 or something completely insane because now everyone wants a piece of the money. That's the thing about Ticketmaster is reality about Ticketmaster is they just take the heat for the fact that when you buy a $100 ticket and they charge you a $30 service fee, actually a percentage of that more than likely almost always is going to the band. Yeah, the band the and band, the venue. Right, yeah. the band just doesn't want to look like the bad guy to charge you $110 per ticket, but they are getting paid. Yeah. Based, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's such a fucking scam. But, it, you know, shitting on Ticketmaster for trying to make money, which again, I don't, I'm not defending Ticketmaster's behavior at all. But at the same time, now if the band gave out, like part of the, part of their ticket experience was you got a recording of the, the show that's sick and then if they sold it to people yeah. that didn't go to the show okay fine but to sell it back to the people that actually paid money to even see you play and bought a t-shirt or whatever i mean it just it feels like a little on the greedy exploitive side of it you know what i mean especially like, if you big picture what Ticketmaster is doing and what pearl jam is doing with these bootlegs you could look at the fees that Ticketmaster charges as like a fun tax or like a tax on you want to be at this band's concert, see and hear this band's concert when it happens in your area. It's a tax on that. Sure. And these bootlegs are a way for Pearl Jam to make money on the same thing. It, but it's even further than that. It's not every time Pearl Jam comes to your city. It's every time Pearl Jam comes to any city. Here's a way for us to make money on that. Yeah. From people who aren't even in that city. Yeah. I mean, it is diabolical, really. This is some Superman villain yeah. level band shit. It's to, like to be able to position yourself as the anti-capitalism, right. whatever. The, I don't even understand really what their argument against Ticketmaster was. I don't know that it was ever articulated very well other than just some vague like anti-corporate thing. And I really, really want to know if there's some crazy ass origin story to this like Catering just really sucked one day and Eddie Vedder couldn't handle it. And he was trying to get to the fucking bottom of it. Right. And eventually someone was like, I don't know, man, Ticketmaster. They were off. More than likely, Ticketmaster. What Ticketmaster the thing is, is again, Ticketmaster is there to be the bad guy in the music business. That's how their whole business model is set up. But like it would have been so easy for Ticketmaster to make a point and just say, you know, if you want to talk about practices that may be uh, slightly questionable, maybe you should talk to Pearl Jam about them selling the show back to the people that already at the show. I'm surprised Pearl Jam never hired a photographer to take pictures of their fans entering and then sell them the pictures when they left the concert like happens on cruise ships. Well, and I'm going to assume also was that when they started doing that, they also had the fans stop recording their shows because they wanted to be in control of the selling and the distribution of their shows. So more than likely, I don't know for sure, but more than likely they started discouraging fans from recording the shows because they wanted to make the money on selling the bootlegs. Now, there's a reason why you don't see that very commonly nowadays is probably because most people realized how kind of shitty that is. Because you don't really hear stories nope, right now of bands, bands didn't start doing this. No, it was not a thing that bands started doing at all. They sold a live DVD maybe of the tour, but that was like a one thing. It wasn't like a, a live show recording of every night of the tour. Now that we've sold a bunch of shirts, maybe people will start responding to them wearing our shirt. We get tagged in 
post all the time. I see you. Yeah, if you get a shirt. At yfbspod.com. I want to hear the stories. Oh, I definitely want to hear some stories. I bet it's a lot of people laughing at the shirt. I bet when you're walking around in a shirt that says your favorite band sucks on it, you get a lot of people who aren't dumb as fuck going, that shirt's funny. I hope. It's a great conversation starter or ender. If you're a single person and you're someone that goes on dates, you should buy a shirt and wear it on a date. Mm-hmm. It's a great litmus test. Figure out right away. Oh, this person I'm going on this date with, his favorite band is Weezer. Text your friend. Hey, uh, can you call me in a minute and tell me that you really need my help? Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. I also, I cannot imagine listening to multiple Pearl Jam live recordings. Like, oh, as bad as this guy enunciates on record in the studio... It is so much worse live. He's just up there caterwauling. I mean, I would really love to know what everyone thinks Eddie Vedder is actually saying in most of these songs. Can, would anyone claim to be able to understand him throughout an entire Pearl Jam song? No. It's not even possible. Like, how many people do you think are out there who have any clue that the song Alive is about incest? None. Very, very few. Right, because the, the parts of the song that get into that are unintelligible. <laughs> are Jeremy and Alive the same song played at different speeds, by the way? Because uh, they I are don't... virtually identical. Are they? They sound so the same. I mean, it's. I guess it's great when Pearl Jam and Arctic Monkeys write the same song twice, but if Nickelback does it, then everyone gets upset about it and has to like invent algorithms to analyze it and shit. That's true, yeah. Why isn't anybody doing the YouTube video that overlays Pearl Jam's two songs Saying, oh, look, they wrote the same song on the same album. Weird. Or if you listen to the song Go, that from what I can understand, that song sounds like you're hearing a guy yell at his own dick because he's losing his erection. <laughs> go! Go! Just go! Yeah, it's just like, what are you doing? No, 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 no! <laughs> I mean, he might as well be making chimpanzee noises on the mic in half of these songs. He sings like Boomhauer from King of the Hill would sing these songs. Yeah. I actually would love the guy that does the voice for Boomhauer to be in a Pearl Jam cover band. Is that not just Mike Judge? Is is Mike Judge? Does he do all the all the I, mean, I don't know. I, I assume he did Boomhauer. Well then Mike Judge, you are infinitely uh, very popular and rich guy, but you know, if you're bored, yeah. start a Pearl Jam cover band. He's probably not bored. As Boomhauer though, he's gotta be Boomhauer when he's singing Pearl Jam. The song Yellow Leadbetter, which again is probably this band's most popular song of all time, doesn't even have official lyrics. Apparently, Eddie just changes them to whatever he feels like singing at the time. So I thought it would be funny if both Mark and I listened to this song in advance and without looking up anyone else's guesses at the lyrics, wrote down what we thought Eddie Vedder was saying. Did you do that? Is that in your I notes? didn't actually write it down. I was okay. just singing along, trying to figure out the words of what I would be saying if I was him. So what do you think that song is about? <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> I have no idea. I actually legitimately listened to it twice today and i was like fuck if i know man like i have no idea i got i was actually thinking about how the times i probably sang this song in my life saying in hard quotes i have no idea what he was saying it doesn't make any sense it, it sounds like he did not write lyrics for this song and is just trying to make sounds in the studio and fake his way through it dude if you told me flat out 100 percent that he was laying on the ground eating one of those like apple pies that you get from the 7-Eleven, like just shoving food in his mouth and singing, do you know what I mean? Like saying words or singing words while he was laying on the back drunk or something. I would totally believe you. I'd be like, yes, that's the story of Yellow Ledbetter. 
oh, you mean that song that Eddie got drunk and was laying on the floor singing, eating pie? I'd be like, oh, yeah, that song. So I did this. I wrote down what I thought he was saying. And I will say out of the gate, it's nonsense. <laughs> I was not able to come up with coherent thoughts Th there, that I thought fit what he yes, was saying. There are actual parts of the song where you cannot even guess. Yeah. Because it doesn't even sound like he's saying consonants. Then after I wrote mine down, I did go and look at what most fans agree Eddie is singing on at least the recording of this song that gets played on the radio all the time. And I was very surprised at how close I got mm. with a lot of my guesses. I was way off on some of them, but those lyrics still didn't make any fucking sense at all. And it is really obnoxious how much meaning people project into these oh, lyrics. God. They think it means all, there are so many theories on what this song is. Like it's some mysterious thing. And I just want to make sure everyone understands this. Like it is so easy to just let people project all of this mysterious importance into something. And this song is a prime example. People are seeing the words, having no fucking clue what it's actually about. There's no way. Again, even if you looked up what everyone, even if you crowdsourced this and looked up what everyone thinks he's saying on this song, it still doesn't make sense. So even if you do know the lyrics and you're singing along to them, yeah. it's still nonsense. It doesn't mean, I don't know what people think they think they're think, singing about. I don't know, but I would, I would actually love to interview like a Pearl Jam super fan and be like, tell me what you think you're hearing. <laughs> Dude, if I'm a Pearl Jam super fan, here's what I'm hearing in this song. Like if I don't look these lyrics up and I'm singing along to this every day, here are the words that I personally would be singing because it's the only thing I thought he could be saying. On a ceiling, on a poisoned letter, say, then you'll see it. I want to leave it again. Once I saw her on a beach, salt with her. I said, go in the sea. I want to leave it again. <laughs> on a weekday, on a wish it all away day, man, they called and I said that I'm woke. And I said, let them call out again. In the wayside, on a leaf of cum, I know. I said, I know when I hear it, that I'll box out of the bag. <laughs> Hey, can you see them out on the porch in my big old wave? I see them brown the blue weed. Yeah. And I know that I know I don't want to see. <laughs> and then that's where he tells Mike McCready to make him cry. And uh -huh. McCready does his impression of a kid trying out a Mesa boogie amp at the local guitar center. When McCready refers to himself as a bad imitation of Stevie Ray Vaughan, the solo in this song, their most popular song, is exactly what he is talking about. As the solo trails off, Eddie comes back and he says, I see I don't know that it's something else. On a combine, on a wave. I said I don't know. I said I don't, I don't know whether there's a box or the bag. Then they do the chorus of the again, and then he says, I don't want to stay a bunch on the outro. Yeah. Now, if you go look up the real lyrics that people think he's saying, I'm pretty close. And none of this makes any sense. <laughs> I mean, very well could be exactly what he was saying. And I would have no fucking clue. That's the thing. Because when you're even when you're reading it like that, I'm actually singing it in my head. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, it actually could be that. But how many people that are huge Pearl Jam fans or even just huge fans of this song have applied some uh, deeply deep emotional meaning to it? And would absolutely be shaken to the core to realize, because it's, it, not everyone that loves Yale Ledbetter realizes that it is just nonsense. A lot of people love that song and don't even know, oh yeah, it's just gibberish. Like, is that, is that, that's gotta be somewhat difficult for people to hear. 
I think this, I think the formula for a Pearl Jam song is hit enough phrases and words that are recognizable to convey some sort of theme or vibe or mood to the song and then have entire segments of the song that are literally unintelligible. Listeners cannot understand the words you are saying. If in fact there are any actual words he is saying, they are then forced to project their own meaning Mm -hmm. into the song. It's sort of like putting a little Rorschach test into a song. It's mm-hmm. just like here. Definitely, definitely. That's actually a shit ton of music. We should do an episode on Sigur Rós because they, I mean, he literally just says, oh yes, yeah. I made up words. But people like people listen singing, to that band and like cry. If you go to a concert, <laughs> you'll see people singing along to what this guy says are nonsense syllables how many people before they he did this interview where he tells them oh it's bs we're thinking this is some icelandic language of which he's saying something deep and meaningful and really they're just singing words that don't exist yeah that's that's so much of music it's a lot so much of what you love is just you applying what you think the song is about i mean the song black i would say about half the lyrics to that song are intelligible he gives you enough to let you know that this is a song about a woman he had really good sex with and you can also make out some shit about the horizon and the earth and the sun so you know eddie vedder gets pretty deep about sex this isn't just some meaningless sex to him and then the music shifts to sad while he starts saying all this weird shit about like bitter hands cradling broken glass. But you can't really understand the rest of what he's saying, but he's pretty upset about it. And this is when everyone starts crying. Right. <laughs> it's super common. I know a bunch of people that are going to listen to this. And be- <laughs> uh, I actually know someone that's going to be super bummed that we're, we're shit talking black. But it's a shit song. I'm sorry, but I'm not, I'm not sorry. It's a shit song. In my opinion, Pearl Jam songs are just a temper tantrum that the band and their audience is all having together. Yeah. Most early Pearl Jam songs are built around this major freakout section where Eddie Vedder is going to have this little freakout in the song. And once you learn the song and you recognize where the little freakout part's going to be, then you can go along with him on the ride. Like if you were lost in the desert and you stumbled upon a Pearl Jam concert out in the middle of the desert, you would be so sure you were witnessing some massive primal scream therapy session. Mm -hmm. It would not read as like entertainer audience. It would be like, oh, these people are having some feelings about something right now. Yeah. What are your favorite? What's your favorite lyrics from the from Black? This song, Black. He screams, "Why?" And Eddie just whipping his head back and forth, giving himself some sort of concussion the whole time. Dude, this is the thing about songs like this, though. And that you loved a song that you heard on the radio, and you're like, "Oh God, this is so good! I love this!" But I have no fucking clue what he's saying. So you would buy the tape or the CD, and then you would open it and hope to God that the lyrics were in there, because you were like, "If the lyrics aren't listed out, then I have no clue what they're saying." That that was the experience, uh, the entire experience of listening to any Pearl Jam song. If you did not read the lyrics to Black, more than likely you had no clue what the fuck he was saying or what he was talking about at all. It's definitely about what I say. Like you, he gives you enough to know it's about this failed relationship. Basically, he the the one one of the parts you can understand is him saying like, "I know someday you'll have a beautiful life, but why can't it be with me?" or whatever. It's just some like Phil Collins, I got left by a woman who I really, really liked a lot stuff. 
It's like emo. It's, like, this is a thing it's too. Primo. You got, I was going to say. Primo, primo. Okay. Again, what's hilarious about this with Pearl Jam is it means this is what they saw when they looked at grunge. Like Pearl Jam looked at grunge. Oh, is this what you people are doing? We're Pearl Jam. <laughs> like that's what happened. This yeah. is their idea. Like they think that Nirvana, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains are this. Yeah. And another thing I love about the whole grunge era of music, this whole, you know, anti-corporate, fuck the man, we dress this way, all that shit. Every band's bio had to prove they weren't a bunch of rich kids by including whether or not the band members ever held down a day job. So (laughs) part of Eddie Vedder's backstory is that this guy once had a job working in a gas station in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And so what? I mean, as far as I know, there isn't anywhere else... You can work if your entire resume is just surfer. Mm-hmm. Right. I was going to say is being a beach bum yeah. or something. <laughs> I mean, basically, when you're watching an 80s Lifetime movie made for unhappy housewives or a 90s Cinemax softcore made for unhappy dads, when a hot lady inexplicably starts banging this weirdly nice and spiritually centered surfer dude who works in a gas station and that surfer dude is in a band, that band is Pearl Jam because that guy is Eddie Vedder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, I'm assuming, what the people writing these movies always wanted to be. Yes. Or, like, looked up to. I think Eddie watched the movies first. Oh, there you go. Maybe he modeled his life after the movies. I do. It was which came first. I see. The movies came first, and then Eddie was like, oh, I'm going to be the beach bum gas station attendant that gets laid by the soccer mom's that come in to get candy for their kids. I think Eddie Vedder saw these movies and did this shit on purpose. Did you know that everyone who knows Eddie Vedder in his personal life, they call him Ed? You know how famous people, they always have a different name that everyone who personally knows them uses instead oh, of... Oh, Ed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ed. Ed. Does that guy look like an Ed to you? No. Okay, but now imagine Eddie Vedder in the role of the nice gas station surfer guy who bangs the way out of his league lady, and she calls him Ed in the movie. Mm-hmm. You totally buy it, right? Oh, definitely. Like, that character's name is Ed. Like, when the hot lady... Tells her butler, oh, by the way, if Ed calls, he's supposed to fuck me later. Yeah. You buy it. Yeah. Was he was he in singles? He was in singles, right? Like the, he was in the movie? Their music was. I their music was, was, but I can't remember if he was. I never pressed play on that because I thought, why? <laughs> Fair. So I've never seen that movie. <laughs> well, it's uh it's a fantastic movie that you're missing out on, Tyler. I, I, it's I can't not. I can't imagine you've never seen it. It's it's so good. I bet it's not good. <laughs> I bet it's one of those movies where when you I mean, I, it's never come up because no one ever asked me about it because I get the impression it's not a good movie and that's why no one ever talks yeah, about it's it. It's a it's a movie that people revisit because they realize that yeah. that time was the best time of their life and they hate their lives yeah. now, so they have to watch that movie to reminisce about the good times of their lives. So people don't watch that and hate it like Garden State. No, they hate their lives now okay. and they watch that to feel good about I guess a time of their life, which was uh grunge in seattle or something being single i don't know so i do think this episode is going to piss off a lot of ladies uh i believe that pearl jam has an aggressively high rate of women in their audience uh this is the band that does that better man song just in case anyone wants to disagree with me i'm pretty sure every divorced woman over the age of 40 has rubbed one out to that song while crying Waiting. She lies and says she's Watching in love with him. The clock, it's four o'clock. It's got to stop. What's got to stop? It's like not getting fucked good enough, I think, yeah. has to stop. He's just like 
banging away and she's like it's four o'clock it's gotta stop she lies and says she's in love with him can't she find a better man she's in love with him real talk every woman on the planet can relate to that song i believe this song is about his stepdad better he, man he, yeah he, he okay then he what? hated his stepdad and he wanted his mom to be with a better man all right, then I have a question. How many of these songs are not about his stepdad? Are <laughs> any of them not about yeah. his stepdad? I don't know. How many people, uh, somebody that they were uh, attracted to come over to their house and accidentally put on Pearl Jam and ruined their evening? You know what I mean? Like you, you should be putting on like Marvin Gaye albums and you're like, oh, I'll throw on the new Pearl Jam oh. album. And next thing you know, whoever you're trying to uh, uh, have an entertaining evening with decides to leave because it's depressing. Yeah, if you're having sex to someone and they want to listen to Black by Pearl Jam, don't go back to that apartment ever again. <laughs> or Better Man. <laughs> not, none of how this many, is... How many girls sat Not, dude, go down the, the list of every song. Like, if they throw on Jeremy, Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town, Yellow Leadbetter, none of this is great. Like, you got to get the fuck out of there if someone's trying to have sex to you to this. Yeah, that's fair. If you ask Eddie Vedder to explain the meaning of his songs, about half the time what's going to come out of his mouth is the plot of a 90s Lifetime Channel movie. I mean, Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town is some serious Nicholas Sparks type shit. Mm -hmm. That's the, uh, I seem to recognize your face and hearts and thoughts, they fade away. Hearts and thoughts, they fade. Those are the lines you can recognize in this song. And I mean, it's just mega pulp romance novel vibes on that one. But man, what a terrible progression of music. They come out the gates with 10. Yellow Leadbetter being the biggest song ever is a B-side of that album. And then they put out Verses and Vitology. Woo! Holy shit. To go from like, my favorite song is Black or Alive or Jeremy, then to my favorite song is Elderly Woman Behind the Counter in a Small Town, yeah. which also is just a terrible fucking name. I'm also not planning on acknowledging any of the album's after that like i don't give a shit about yield or any of the other pearl jam stopped being a band after whatever came after the third album everything after that is 100 forgettable i do not believe that anybody is a fan of anything that they put out after that album the only reason anybody still cared was because they put out last caress Last Kiss. Last Kiss, sorry. Yeah, which is a remake of a song that was already popular. Right, exactly. So they put on a cover. It's depressing, very on par for Pearl Jam. But it fits right into this Nicholas Sparks thing. Right. Like that song is an example of one of the 50% of Pearl Jam songs I think could be pulled straight from the pages of a Nicholas Sparks novel. And then the other half sounds like he just sits in the waiting room of a therapist's office with a notepad writing down the shit he can overhear people 100%. talking to themselves about. But that song, I think, really keeps brings the band back into the consciousness of people or yeah i would say last kiss that, that's again, got yeah that's about, gotta yeah. be is it not their biggest song no yellow lead better is, is it bigger than that last kiss is number two really yeah i would have thought last kiss was that shit was so fucking unavoidable the thing about last kiss is it was so thick and pervasive 
that people actually got sick of it in a way that they did not get sick of Yellow Ledbetter. Yeah. Like, I bet you can still hear Yellow Ledbetter played on the radio every day more than Last Kiss. Definitely. People stopped requesting Last Kiss, but people yeah. will always request the B-side of Jeremy. Right. You know? Well, that also makes them sound like they know so much about music. And that's that's why Black gets played on the radio all the time. Again, right. this band refuses to release it as a single because it was far too personal of a song for them to exploit as, as opposed a to Jeremy or alive or but it makes all the like implied backstory of this being a song about a woman he's heartbroken over. It's just too close to him for him to want to exploit it as a single. However, you can pay for it on the album or any of 500 bootlegs. <laughs> it's, too personal for me, but there's uh, there are a bunch of copies for sale. If it's uh, feel free to buy whichever one you like. If it's too most. personal, don't fucking record it. Yeah, or just don't release it. Yeah, I mean you don't have to put yeah. the you don't have to put the song. Send on your it to album. the lady. Yeah, but then you couldn't charge everyone your Nicholas Sparks romance story, etc. Well, it also this is a weird thing about this band, right? Is so they don't like music videos. They get huge notoriety from Jeremy. Yeah. which is not is a depressing song it really is and the video is depressing because the content of the song is depressing they win awards for it but then they don't like the video they nobody, don't want to make videos anymore nobody likes that video <laughs> so so the geniuses at fucking mtv are like i got an idea let's do a pearl jam unplugged mm -hmm. and we'll make the video you just doing it live and yeah. then that becomes huge yeah like it was just unescapable like you couldn't get away from it the band didn't want to make videos but yet they still had videos just in other forms did you know that daughter is about a girl with dyslexia whose parents think she's just being an asshole and won't read no i didn't know that it's a bummer right <laughs> like, i'm telling you everything about this band more, is depressing the more you learn about any pearl jam song the less awesome it gets i promise you and they're already not awesome on just surface level first impression i hate this shit and then the more you learn about it the worse it gets yeah even flow is just about a crazy homeless guy that's why Eddie mumbles that stuff about like, hey man, you got a dollar? Just spare some just some spare change in the instrumental break mm -hmm. part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like what what the fuck do you think this band was thinking about when they did make the music video for the song Jeremy? I have no idea. How depressing the fucking song is. The song is truly terrible, by the way. If anyone doesn't think so, I guess you've never taken the time to find out about the fact that this song is based on a true story yes. about a kid who really shot himself in front of the classroom of his like schoolmates and his name really was Jeremy. So nothing about this is great. Why? It, it is really weird if you really strip away Pearl Jam. If I just, if I took away Pearl Jam and I said, there's a band, let's just call them Band X, writes eight, they're going to write this song about a absolute insane tragedy of a kid who took his gun to school and killed himself. It is so fucking sad. Anything to make light of it. Not um, they weren't really making light of it. They turned into a fucking pop song because Jeremy is a straight up pop song. If I didn't, but I, your reaction would be that sounds terrible. Yeah. If if I took away Pearl Jam, I took the name away. You would say that's terrible. Why would a band do that? Why would anybody? make light or turn something so tragic into a pop song. I don't think they thought they were doing that, but it is what they did. And well, they made is, a video for it and doubled down on the song. Whether they wanted to or not, they did do it. It's a, it's really, I mean, 
we see a lot of misguided activism in this world. And this is what this feels like to me is someone who thinks they're helping like a what's her nuts Jenner girl put in the flower in the rifle in the Coca-Cola commercial. Oh God. Not helping. Oh Jesus. Know? No. Oh my God. I forgot about yeah, that. Just, I mean, Jet or- we're really, really good at forgetting when these things happen Sure, because they are so embarrassing on a species level. Yeah. Where it's just like, who fucking told her to do that? Don't yeah. do that. But the thing is, is Jeremy is still played yeah. to this true. day. Yeah. Probably a couple thousand times on the radio still to this day. And I wouldn't be shocked if it got played tens of thousands of time on every DSP every day I mean, or, or every week, certainly every week. This song is like listening to a band started by Korn's older brothers who never went to college, but they still go to high school parties and drink beer and talk about listening to the doors, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, the way Jim Morrison said the word fuck in a song, uh, is, is genius too strong of a word? Pearl Jam fans are just too cool. Pearl Jam is just too cool, man. Like, the truth is, is that... And their fucking new metal band could take all of their songs and make them new metal. And people would be like, all right, this is yeah. so terrible. I can't believe a band would make content around this really tragic shit. It's so bad. But you listen to Pearl Jam non-ironically. You think that Pearl Jam is awesome, but you think Korn writes corny songs, pun intended. I would get much more explicitly linked than what you're saying. I'm saying Pearl Jam made that shit happen. Oh, they definitely they did. Stuff. No, they, they paved the way. They put these songs on the radio. Yes. Where do you think this shit was playing? In the entire middle of this country where new metal came from. Yeah. Like you think that this shit wasn't on the radio in what Jacksonville, Florida? Yeah. Dude, there without Pearl Jam, there is absolutely no new metal. No. There's no cheesy, this, corny, this, dark songs. This is the most successful Seattle sound band. So Nirvana unseats Michael Jackson. We're no longer doing fun pop music. We are now doing miserable, depressed, messy sounding, muddy sounding trash. Yeah. New metal is next. This is not a fucking debate or theory. This is just what happened. Yes. Yeah, this isn't this isn't anybody's opinion. This is literally what happened. Pearl Jam has like, a song about being a serial killer. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe I have watched the wrong kind of movies my entire life, but isn't a surfer who works at a gas station and writes songs about crazy people and murderers something we should be paying a whole different kind of attention to? Yes, I believe so. Yes. <laughs> Again, if you told this story and took Eddie Vedder's name out of it and the band Pearl Jam's name out of it, you would not think that the story of Pearl Jam and the songs that Pearl Jam wrote we're, we're, we're good. I guarantee you, you would go, that's fucked up. You would absolutely think that a majority of these songs were fucked up if it wasn't Pearl Jam singing them. It's because they can't understand what Eddie Vedder is saying. I totally, I totally agree. New metal singers enunciate. One thing I love about this show is even as long as we've been doing it, I'm still having new realizations about it. So... I was thinking about Pearl Jam for this and I had a funny thought about Pearl Jam, but then I realized it was true for every band that we've done, every episode we've done or will ever do. There has been at least one relationship that ended over this band. You think about that? Again, no offense to people rolling around with 50 of the bootleg concert CDs <laughs> in a CD booklet and it's the only thing they ever listened to. Yeah. But I know that at least one of your relationships 
ended because of that. Dude, tens of thousands of relationships have ended at the fingers of Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam. Guarantee it. You know, there was actually one other thing that we didn't touch on. You know who we have to thank for this fucking shit show? You know? Do you know? Do you know who took them on their first tour? Oh, yeah. The Red Hot fucking yeah, Chili Peppers. it was peppers. the Red Hot Chili Peppers because Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins got the... I'm just saying. Gig and the Smashing Pumpkins dropped out. I'm not. I actually hate conspiracy theories. I really yeah. do. But I'm starting to think that there might be something to this. Yeah. I'm really starting to think that there is some group of people out there that are really just getting people to listen to shit music. And it's just kind of weird to me that, that uh, the first band to take... Pearl Jam of all bands out would be the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You think Red Hot Chili Peppers has made a lot of people break up too? I bet they have. <laughs> Probably. Well, Red Hot Chili Peppers is music for people that can't fuck but think they can. Wow. Wow. I can't believe you didn't come up with that for the episode. <laughs> I just, yeah, it just, it just came to me. Man, that's why you got to listen to every episode of this podcast, people, is because sometimes, sometimes. I know. Can we inject that back into the I, episode? It might be worth doing. Anything else you wanted to talk about? Yeah, the other thing that's weird about like taking this uh, uh, anti-corporate stance that they take with Ticketmaster and all that stuff too is they they sell their bootlegs, they do all this stuff to like to to generate more income. They go on this you know oh Ticketmaster is so evil, fuck corporate America bullshit thing, and then they release an album years later. Now this was actually probably a considerable amount of time later, and there's exclusivity some exclusivity deal with Target. One of the biggest retailers in the world at the time was probably just behind Walmart in like retail space. And then a couple years later, do it again. Uh, I can't remember what the movie was. They did a song for a movie, uh, Big Fish. And that oh, was like- that but movie that, was the worst. Yes, but that was with Amazon. So they, they do this song and there's like this weird exclusive or, or, or partnership with Amazon. So I, I guess I just think it's a little strange that the band really just continually harp <laughs> and harps on yeah. like this like corporate uh, uh, exploitive nature of capitalism and and corporate you know entities all the while making partnerships with these corporate companies. Like imagine going to war with Ticketmaster and not Amazon. Yeah, I know. Like <laughs> of all companies, like the exploit you know labor and price gouging. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're going to do this exclusive with Amazon. I don't know. I mean, I guess it just really ties into that like uh, question about whether and how, how anti-corporate are they really? I don't know. Yeah, I think that it was, I think a lot of it had to do with just leaning into what was becoming thought of as grunge ideals, you know, grunge ethics, basically. Just, you know, sub pop is better than anything that exists, et cetera. Fill in the blank, you know. Right. It is awesome reading all of the dudes from the Seattle bands talk about the uh, like internal struggle that they had when it came to signing major label record deals. Every fucking one of them <laughs> ha has talked about it in interviews. You know, I had I really had to like confront myself and ask if I was doing this for the right reasons. It's like, oh, and then what did you do next? Did you sign the, did you sign the fucking check? Exactly, yes. <laughs> How fast did you deposit that check? You know what I mean? How quickly did that, like, I had to really come to terms with myself when I took this million dollar advance from uh, Epic Records or whoever. Also, and this is not, 
either one of us saying like fuck you for signing a major league no, deal. No, I don't it's blame just people. Hilarious watching someone pretend to have had qualms about it. One of the biggest jokes to me about the music business as a whole, and definitely out of grunge era, and all these bands paved the way for these conversations, is like or made the conversations more big. Is like they would sign these atrocious record deals, but they didn't have to. They could have made the deals better or negotiated the deals, but a million dollars is a lot of fucking money. Yeah. And when somebody's going, we'll give you each a million dollars, you're probably going to sign the deal. The thing is, is then your band explodes and you're making shit tons of money. Your label is making a majority of that money and you're like, what the fuck? We want we, this bullshit. Yeah. We should you- be making more money. Well, yeah, you should, but you shouldn't have signed this shitty fucking deal. You wanted the million dollars, so you took it. Yeah. Like you can't complain that the the label then is going to turn around and make money off you. I have no sympathy for artists who sign bad deals. They shouldn't have signed. I just don't. It's, Kanye West. I, yeah, dude. Like it's impossible for me. If you're complaining about a contract that you signed several years later, all you're doing is telling everyone you didn't read the contract or you didn't understand the contract or you don't take your career seriously enough. We People have known since the 50s the 1950s, what the music business is and how it operates. If you want to fuck around and have a party in this world, but not look into it deep enough to find out how you're going to get fucked over on the bill, that's on you. Here's the deal. No matter what band you are, you don't have to fucking sign the deal. You don't have to take the million dollars. You know what you can do? You could say, I want $50,000 and I want to negotiate a better deal. Or you can invent the business strategy of recording every single one of your concerts and issuing them as albums with nationwide distribution. I would love to know. Do you think they had to have? I know the band would know. How how many did they sell? They had to have made so much fucking money selling bootlegs that they were recording, which literally would have been a recorder. Of concerts that they also got paid to yes. play. <laughs> like, and think about it. All you got to do is be like your sound guys on tour with you and be like, yo, plug the recorder yeah. in. It's it. It's not like you need yes. even need another person to come on the road with you. No, there's you can no have your merch guy. Do it. It's free money. And if there's 10,000 people or not even that, if there's thousands of people, 5,000 people coming to see you, and even 10% of them, 500 people, spend another $10, which you're not splitting with a record label. You're just keeping all that money. Blow that out over the course of an entire tour? Holy shit. They don't have to sell very many copies of no, any individual one low. of those things. Oh, yeah. Realistically, they sold thousands, Dude, if not tens if of thousands. If they sold 50 copies of each one, it covers the cost of paying someone to press play yeah. and then shipping them. Yeah. Fuck corporate people making money really makes me feel like there have to be so many ways we are not cynically making a ton of money on this show. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, when we go on tour, we're selling (laughs) vinyl copies of our live shows back to the people that came to the shows. And we could even do it like how you said earlier, where we just charge someone a ton of money, just an obscene amount of money for a VIP ticket. No meet and greet or anything like that. But but then later we'll ship you a vinyl of the show. Yeah. We could probably sell like 500 of these per concert. God, I don't even want to think about having a meet and greet. No, that would be the worst. After this fucking episode comes out. Oh my God. The Pearl Jam app emails are going to be rough. I can tell you that ahead of time. I bet a lot of PhDs listen to this band. Definitely. Definitely. It reminds them of their college days. 
before they were doctors making tons of money. All right. If your favorite surfer who works in a gas station is Eddie Vedder. <laughs> and he plays in a band called Pearl Jam. Your favorite band sucks. You're welcome for listening to your favorite band sucks. It just doesn't get any better than that. You know, Mark asked a pretty good question in this episode, which is how many copies of the official bootlegs have Pearl Jam sold? So I went and looked it up, and the answer is over 13 million. But I also found out they never stopped doing it. I thought I was being really hyperbolic when I said there are 500 official Pearl Jam bootlegs, but Pearl Jam has sold official bootlegs for nearly every concert they've played since the year 2000. As such, there are over 300 of them. So that's fun. Speaking of fun, it's good to be back, and I hope it's not too late to say sorry, but Mark was in such a hurry to sing Creed at the beginning of this episode, we forgot to remind everyone we started filming all of our recording sessions. So if you enjoyed watching our Nickelback Sucks or Christmas Sucks Part 4 videos, if you want to see the faces Mark makes when he's doing all that beautiful singing, or just check out the cool clothes we wear, the plan is for all of our future episodes to also be available in video form on YouTube, and we won't even charge you to watch every single one of them. So go subscribe again. I hope it's not too late to say sorry, and I hope it's not too late to announce the podcast will be back in a couple weeks to talk about how much Justin Bieber sucks.